0: Hi, everybody. I'm Randy Brock alongside Ron and Lynn Whiteman, and uh, we're here with the Home Matters podcast today. Our special guest is Kiefer Bartell. Thanks for joining us today, Kiefer.
1: Thanks for being on the show.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you here today. Uh, We're going to get started with a little bit of real estate uh, news information, just brief. We don't have a whole lot
2: to talk about. And if I could sing, which I can't. (laughs) We would sing happy birthday oh. Happy birthday. Today's Randy Rock's yeah, birthday. He's Indeed.
3: working on his birthday. <laughs> yeah. But he's sharing it with the whole world.
0: Right. This is fun. So,
3: yeah, birthday
0: podcast. <laughs> Thursday, November 21st.
3: Oh. Oh,
0: what a wonderful day. Yeah. Uh, Kiefer, you've been in the car business for how long? And we're going to get to more about you in a little
1: bit. But. Yeah, so it will be... I just celebrated uh, nine years uh, with Tom Cadillac and... So probably just just under nine and a half years uh, total. Um, so long time. Okay. In the, in the terms of the car business. Right. So, Shotgun yeah.
0: question for you to get started. If you had to choose one classic car to drive for the rest of your life, oh. made before 1980, um, what would it be?
1: I think it'd probably be like a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT. Um, what color? Where, red you gotta get I I, I wouldn't take the car in any other color but red so red is the only way it works and have you seen or plan on seeing
0: Ford versus Ferrari
1: yeah I was actually funny enough I was thinking about going today uh, my wife had asked me about it and then it's just trying to find a way to like work you know before having a child like it's easy to go see movies but now like you have to plan it and it becomes a date night and you have a sitter and uh, but yeah we're gonna go see it awesome
0: So, if you, Ron Whiteman, had to pick a car, one car to drive for the rest of your life, which that's not an easy one for you.
2: Oh, I, I can't, my, my brain is exploding inside right now well, because I be? don't know one car. I, I, can we talk about houses instead? No, nope. <laughs> nope. you're on the spot, man. You've got to answer this one. Um, I, yeah, right now, I'm all about Tesla. I'm, I'm so excited all about right. what they're doing as an American car company. And the fact that they've taken over 80% of the EV market within a five-year period, that hasn't happened since Henry. Ford. Oh. It's wow. pretty amazing. So yeah. I guess it'll have to be a Tesla. I don't okay. know. It's, it's a All cheap right. answer right now. Well, <laughs> maybe we'll sometime other,
0: some other time I'll we'll ask you about the 1980 or prior okay. if you right, yeah, right, have right, one right, to drive. Right. All right. Let's talk a little bit about real estate.
2: What's happening out oh, there?
3: Oh, wait, wait, wait. We have to talk oh. about color. What color would you oh,
2: pick? Oh, oh it's, yes. uh, it's white. It's always white. Sorry. <laughs> right. So I have a funny
3: story for you about always white. We were in Colorado this last summer, and we were at the rental picking up our rental Jeep. And the guy said, which one do you want? And he goes, white. Always white. We took white. It had horrible tires, and we were at the top <laughs> oh, of a yes, pass right. and had a blowout. And <laughs> oh. I mean, this thing, we spent probably four days of our vacation fixing this situation because always white didn't work
0: for us. It did not. And but and you
3: so now, now what we do is... Which one do you want? And I go, check the tires.
0: <laughs> and you were above the tree line. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we were, were. You were on a shale. You're not in a place where AAA just gets there no. in five no, minutes. But you... there, no, but there
3: are kind people up there that help you. <laughs>
0: yes, that's great. <laughs> At, you know when you're when you're working and you see any white car drive onto the lot, mm-hmm. is there an instant light bulb that goes mm-hmm. off? You're like, I wonder if I should call Ron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny on that
1: because it's a pretty true uh, truth. I won't call him on any other car or any other color but white <laughs> because I know he wouldn't good, buy it. But. Yeah, you know, it'd we be are, a wasted call. <laughs> we are in the weeds
2: here, but he did that. I mean, this is how good of a salesperson he is. He texts me a picture of a white car at about eleven o'clock. <laughs> One day. Is that the same day I came in the office at about three and it was and, sitting and three, by by three o'clock I had got permission from my wife and it was sitting in my garage. I said I said, Where
3: are you going? And he goes, I'll be right back. That's what he said. I I should have known.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Housing. Let's go back to housing. Uh, All right. All right. How fun was that? You know, it is
2: is the holiday season, and and we often get the question of, you know, should we keep our house on the market during the holidays? And the the answer is absolutely yes, if you're going to sell because we're seeing showings and the activity is, is moderate to good, and we still have over 300 houses on the market. But the bigger question is how far do you go with your decorations and your style of um, you know keeping it marketable yet doing home life? Mm-hmm. And Lynn, what's your, what's your go-to answer for that?
3: You know, that's a really great question because you're still living there and you're still doing the holiday and you're still doing life in that home. But then periodically you're going to get showings. And Thanksgiving isn't as big of a deal as the upcoming Christmas holiday. So if you're marketing and Christmas is approaching and you go, what do I do, <clears throat> my suggestion would be to do minimal um, and keep it very, very tasteful. Because if you if people come into your home and there there is no tree or there are no decorations, Um, they go, what's up with this house, you know? So there has to be a a little bit of give and take there, but we all know that when you are decorating for the holidays, um, your house can start to look full, and that's what we don't want when we're marketing. And so put some of the personal things away more than you already have for the marketing process so that the decorations don't fill that house up and take over visually. Um, the features of the home. We don't want people saying, oh, what a great tree you have. We want people saying, what a great house you have.
0: Right. Side note to that really quick. I I think I've been hearing a little bit more often here and there people asking, should we take our house off the market during certain time periods? And from what I've found through all of your experience and my experience is that I don't, I don't think I can ever come up with a an honest answer where it's it's good to take your house okay. off the market for any period of time. I know we don't wanna hear days on market um, sometimes, but there's not as much of a problem as you might think, unless there's extenuating circumstances in life.
3: Yeah, the only time I can imagine, I mean, there won't be as many showings over the holidays. The only time I can really imagine saying, yep, it's better to take it off the market is if there would be like a a death or something like that in the family because you just emotionally probably aren't prepared um, for the marketing process. And you might want to give yourself a break and do a temporary off-market and then... Within a couple of weeks, get back in gear, but that's the only time. Otherwise, you know, buyers are in and they're looking, and they're um, if they're if they have to move here, you don't want to miss that buyer over Christmas week simply because you're, you're taking you've taken it off
2: the market. I've had two calls for people coming into town this weekend for specifically look at houses. So you're absolutely right. The only reason you'd want to take it off if it was some really extraordinary circumstance that's going to affect right. your personal life or if you just decided you are not going to sell. But and other than those two reasons, um, if you if it's off the market, a potential buyer cannot see it. And so for it just needs to stay. Yeah,
0: and, and we're and not talking about even showings. You might not have showings for a little while, but people can still look at it online. Yeah. They're on their apps, they're on their laptop, they're right. looking at the inventory that's out there, yeah. and they might be thinking about looking at the start of the year, but they're on their phones in November. Looking at what's out there, right. So you don't want to lose that buyer,
2: right? So now we can go back to cars. That was yeah. On. Let's <laughs> talk about cars. Why don't you? Uh, you want to introduce Kiefer? I would love to. Kiefer Bartell. You know, um, I met him and his wife Heather through a referral, and and again, that's how most of our business comes. But what I love most about our job is we do develop uh, long term relationships, good relationships, with. Um, through people that pass through our lives or buying and selling homes. And uh, I have l- watched him from a distance, develop his business, his style. Um, obviously, we're all in a selling business. I don't care what you do, you're selling something. Yeah. And uh, we've we've connected a couple times over a good cup of coffee. And so I thought it would be good to just come in and, and pick his brain. And he's also a podcaster. He not only listens to them, but he has his own that he's just started. We'll talk about but, um you
1: tell us a little bit about you. Um, you're from Rochester, right? Yeah, well, I actually grew up in Byron, so really nearby. Uh, you know, my family's lived here a really long time. They lived here probably since the, the late 1800s. And uh, uh, we've always been a part of the community. And, um, and yeah, so I'm originally from here, graduated from Byron. Um, my whole family did. Uh, left for a brief period of time, went and lived in Minneapolis, and then uh, shortly uh, came back there's something always about the community that draws me back and and it's the kind of thing where um, I think it's an incredible place to live and there's very few communities that have what we have going on and it's really special you know and I couldn't imagine really living anywhere else for that exact reason um, and I think most people that are a part of it now uh, or listening to it understand that um,
2: yeah and we couldn't agree with you more I mean we just it's, it's hard to describe and I was trying to on Monday describe what Rochester has that's unique and, it's, it's, and unless you live here and experience it, it's really hard to understand. But it's, it, it is. It's It's a great place to live. And,
3: and sometimes when you tell people that, they feel like you're giving them a sales job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. right? But we left Colorado to come here, and we stayed. So yeah. it, it really is a great place to live. And
0: it doesn't take that long to settle in either. No. I feel like you don't have to be here for 10 years no. to feel like you're part of the community. It, it's It's very welcoming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great place to obviously raise a family and it's great to, um, you know, grow a business as well. And I think it it always reminds me of like a small town, but it's a big city and it's small enough where I can still run into people I want to see and and feel like I can connect uh, with the people I want to. And at the same time, it's got the amenities of what a bigger city has. And I really appreciate it. And Rochester, really, like over the last couple of years, uh, changed a lot. I mean, I think of my decade, I mean, I'm 30 now, but I think of it in the last 10 years, how much the city's changed mm-hmm. and, and how many more things it has to offer, you know? Right. So for me, I've always, always, uh, always loved that. And I'm excited to see where it goes, yeah. truthfully. And raising a family, you're now doing that. That's that's yeah. new in your life. Tell, yeah. tell me more about my that. My son will be, uh, <laughs> will be two next month. No so way, two already. It's crazy. Jeez. And, wow. you know, he's running around and he's getting big and like, uh, that's been a huge passion for me and my wife is is really making sure he's exposed to as much stuff as he can, and uh, you know his vocabulary and all those things and uh, speaking foreign languages to him and music and everything that we think uh, uh, will help grow him into to be a great person and then really understand the social aspects of it too. You know, we talk about sales and we'll get into talking that part about me, but truthfully, you know, you getting them to to not have all those fears that people develop and spending a ton of time, you know, trying to teach them that on a really small scale and and the patience you have to have as a parent for that. And it's funny, like, for me, uh, it is super easy to have that patience because uh, it's just watching him learn and develop, and it happens so rapidly. Like, watching the things that a little kid can learn and how fast they grow, it makes me want to be able to grow at the same rate. Yep. And, you know, you, you watch in a two-year span, you go from nothing to walking to uh, talking to all those different things. And it's like, I feel like as, as adults, you know, we kind of stop learning at that same rate and we kind of just yeah. settle in. So it's been great. And and truthfully, uh, you know, my wife has taken on a ton of it and uh, she uh, she helps manage all the schedule and make sure everything actually functions that way. And I just kind of uh, show up where she kind of gives me the direction to Um, because as busy as I keep my day, that's really the only way I can make it work. Yeah. What was his first word? Uh, it was dad, so I don't, nice. I don't know that she. I don't know that she appreciated that, but uh, it's pretty common. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, I was like, yes, and she's like, That's you really win. didn't mean that. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you didn't mean it.
1: <laughs> uh, I think my wife
0: and I had the same conversation. It might have been. I could
1: swear it was dad. Ass, and, and I get it. I mean, she put so much time. in I was like, I would be heartbroken in return. So. Uh. So
2: tell us about you, um, obviously, our cars are your life right now. Um, tell us how you got started with that. Are you, I mean, I, I consider myself kind of a, a gearhead.
1: I'll say a closet gearhead, but uh, tell me about cars. I, st- I still remember how I got started in it. So uh, my uncle, it was other my uncle or my grandfather, left a Motor Trend magazine uh, laying on the counter. When they, like, they came visit my parents' house, they left it the laying on the counter, and they... They left, and I remember looking at this thing, and it had a bright yellow Dodge Viper on the, the front of it. Ah. And I remember, like, that being my hook into reading every ounce of the magazine and all the details and all the specifications. And um, I'm the kind of person, when I get into something, there's, like, there's no middle ground. So like I'm either out on the idea or I'm, like, a 1,000 feet deep. So um, that's where it all started for me. And it, it really... As much as I love sales, I, I love the passion for the cars. The cars is what got me into it. Mm-hmm. And um, being able to know all the makes and models and all the differences that, you know, and the, and the styling. Like, I mean, I still like a cool-looking car. and uh, But, yeah, that's how I got started in it. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, I, I think I tried to my, – my first way into sales wasn't the car business. In fact, um, I found that probably five, six years into selling. My first way into sales was I was actually – uh, selling men's formal wear, which is completely different than the car business. And uh, it was fun, and I thought I was a good salesperson. And then I uh, ended up working for um, Ritz Camera Company at the time. And that's really where I developed a huge passion for photography. And uh, yet again, I thought I was a good salesperson. And looking back, I had no idea what I was doing. And um, But at the same time, they were all building blocks for what I do now. And uh, the passion that I learned for uh, sales then and the camera industry which I still love um, moved forward you know and then I, I ended up working for um, a shoe company so I worked for a company called Journeys which is part of Janasco's Johnson Murphy's probably most people know it as and I still was building a sales pattern with it and uh, by that point I said hey there's got to be something different I ended up running into a person that uh, I currently work with that came into my store at the time and said hey you want to sell cars and I said you know, I, don't, I don't know about that and uh, and <laughs> because what a lot of people don't know is my first intro into the car business was actually working for a different dealership and i had worked there for a short period of time and and said like i'm never going to do this this is the worst ever like i can't even believe somebody would do this and uh, said i would never do it again Uh, so i get into selling shoes and uh, it was fine and like i said i ran into uh, a person that i currently work with and she says like hey so you want to come sell cars and i'm like i don't know about that and I, i thought about it for probably i don't know maybe two or three days and I said, well, maybe this is different, and uh, I jumped in, and I haven't haven't looked back, you know, really since, and um, that's what got me into it. And then I think like the the part that carried me through the early days was just my love for the cars. Yeah, you know, like as if it was something I just liked, so it was easy to do the training and read the books and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I got into it. I was almost by trying to talk myself out of it many times.
3: So you said never and then you which we always laugh about because never is a really big word <laughs> but you said never and then you came back and you fell in love with it so what was different what changed that made never become your career
1: so i think for me i changed you know like uh, part of the thinking is it, it what you turn into loving a lot of times has the environment has to do with the environment you're in You know, I said never because never, you know, in a lot of sales industries, you just kind of get thrown in and it's like figure it out. And if you fail, you fail. And we always talk about the statistics of how many people fail going into sales and we never really give them a solution on how to help them. And um, that's why, you know, and by then my skill level, my confidence and my abilities have gotten better Um, and you kind of like, I, I, I believe there's this point in a person's life. Maybe some people don't have it, but I most certainly know I do where I said, Hey, you know what? Like I can keep doing what I'm doing and know what I've got, or I can push myself outside my comfort zone. And every time I've done that, I've grown as a person. And I always call this like stretching my brain. Like I just keep teaching myself more and that's where I find a giant rebirth. So in like a short answer, yeah, I said never. Um, but I also thought like, I didn't really have much to lose. Like the, the, the gain was more, you know, like I could teach myself or who, who knew what it would develop into. And I said, yeah, hey, you know, shoes is fun, but it's kind of boring. And I still love cars. And like I basically sold myself on maybe it being better. And, and, and it was. But the biggest growth was me. I had to be able to accept it being hard, not easy, all those things. And, and in the beginning, I wasn't.
2: And I think another thing you said that's key that makes a difference in a lot of people's life is you said you're either out on an idea or I think you said you're a thousand feet in, (laughs) you know, and and that's true because no matter what you're going to do, I mean, you've got to love it, you've got to go after it and you've got to jump in no matter how deep it is to to go. Um, If you just wade into anything, it's probably not going to be as successful as it could be as if you just jumped in full force.
1: And really, for my first couple of years, even uh, even getting in with, with with Honda, it was like um, I still was doing pretty average. You know, I had an ability to think outside the box, but it really wasn't pushing, uh, pushing anything different. I was still listening to the same common things, and I, I still wasn't, I was a lot of average. And somewhere along the way, I had to, to change my thinking on it and really kind of reformat how my brain thinks and surround myself with everybody that wasn't an average. Yeah. And when you start changing that thinking, your whole life changes. Yeah. And um by and yeah and, and and that's that's some of the things that I felt made the difference. So let's sure. talk about a couple of specifics
2: um you know a couple of things that I've watched you do um one social media because we had talked about this a little bit previous you know for an for the average traditional model dealership social media <laughs> is zero or 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 less. Mm-hmm.
1: Um tell us about how how that came about. Uh well number 1 like I think I was prime time to like I grew up in the time frame I was graduating high school when when social media was like a thing and nobody thought it could turn into anything and I started following it. Now like anything with social media is I think you start uh thinking it's all about advertising things of selling and and, and really what I learned is that doesn't work. Um really it's advertising Um, everything else that's not selling and uh, there's a lot of pushback with it you know using social media a lot of people look at as a giant waste of time they don't really know what it gets you they don't know what having more followers gets you Um, but what I found with it was is if we could make it about people it changed the whole thing And, and really being able to tell people's story and and make it relatable because I think most businesses try to use social media as they they oh here's my $99 Ninety-nine dollar special or whatever it right. is, and then they get no interaction on it, and they say it failed. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it failed is because it had the wrong thought process going into it. And so for me, it was like when I tried to do everything that wasn't sales related, it actually blossomed. And um, yeah, it was a it's a big learning you know growth, and it changes all the time. You know, I, I try to surround myself now with people almost ten years younger than me to try to teach me everything that's happening with social media because they seem to grasp it faster. I never mm-hmm. thought I'd be in that point, but like uh, we were talking about TikTok the other day, and I'm like, man, I haven't spent that much time with TikTok. And uh, but yet again, you know, one of the things that I've always gone to in my life is I go, I find a mentor on whatever I want to learn, and I encompass and learn every single thing I can from them, and uh, that's what I do with with anything. But yeah, social media. It has really grown, and then now I've grown it into to my own podcast. And a lot of the things that I had applied, I've I've used uh, the same way with my own podcast to get people to listen to it. So, yeah, social media I don't think is going away anytime soon. But it's also really good to have a plan with it, be organized with it, and make sure that you um, get something out of it. Did you, you, know? you
2: get pushback from from the people you worked with and and the management?
1: You know, I think when it comes to like uh, ownership. And in, in most most of the time they kind of just, you know, they've, they've worked with me long enough that they, uh, they want to let me fail at times to learn from it. But at the same time, they want to push me and say, hey, look, you know, you, you do it and then we'll talk about the result in the end. And I think like that's a great place to think in right? because a lot of places wouldn't even let you do that. And, you know, I look at the failures I've had with it or anything that's taught me more than any of the wins and for sure you know early on you get a ton of sales people oh, this, is, this is dumb you could be working on something else or you could be helping somebody else or you could be doing something different um but it's like anything if you just stick with it and the problem is most people don't mm-hmm. because it takes time it takes effort uh when really a lot of that stuff i've got posts pre-planned i've got all that stuff lined up mm-hmm. so it's not you know every second i'm I- i'm doing right. that it's really not there's thought put into it um, but yeah, sure, certainly a ton of pushback. I, st- I still, to this day, uh, continue to get pushback on it. But what they don't get is um, if they were putting the same level of work in, they would be getting more out of it as well. Right. And, and, and the thing with it is, is like you can't use social media and say, okay, so... I'm going to, I'm not in the real estate business, but I'm in the auto business. You know, I'm going to post a picture of this car, and it's going to sell today, and I'm going to sell it right off of Facebook. It doesn't work that way. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, like I said, it's the relationship factor of it. And, and if people know that's what I do for a living, guess what? Oddly enough, more people come to me about it because they know that's what I do for a living. If I make myself the expert in the business, people come to me because I'm the expert in the business. And I think... So many people don't look at it that way. Look at it as like a transacting or they're used to like a different form of advertising. Put
2: the car in front, right.
0: Or even just saying, hey, we're providing this content as a media organization. Click on our website that we're going to post. And it doesn't work like that either. You have to have a story. You have to have some interaction. You can't just expect people to say, oh, there's a car or there's a house and I'm going to buy it. And you think, oh, this is magical because I have 10,000 followers and someone's going to buy this. But that's not what they're there
1: for. No, you know, it's. I, I would get so excited about it because I'd post like a, a great car. I'm like, oh, and I'd run into somebody I knew and I'd be like, oh, did you see that? No. And they didn't even look <laughs> at it and they didn't even care about it. So, but no, it's it's super true to that point. And uh, a lot of people just don't look at it that way. And, and the big thing is, too, I think a lot of businesses use social media and they post from uh, their business page. And, and we do and most stores do. But what you really should do, too, is it's about getting everybody else active on it um, as well. And if you've got a whole team of people figuring out how everybody can and find a way for it to benefit them. And if everybody sees your whole team and gets and, and mm-hmm. they associate them with salespeople and that's what they do, I think that goes a really long way. So
0: you're in a leadership position where you're at right now. How how do you work or what are your goals when it comes to building culture and inspiring people who work there? What about the the new, I hate to use the word kid, I'm sure every person who works is an adult, but yeah. someone comes in, they're green, they don't know exactly what they're doing, but you know they have potential. What are you doing to, to, to shape
1: things? Yeah, you know, my, my leadership has grown a lot, you know, and the biggest thing is like as I develop in that, I actually like remove anything that I used to think of being a leader. You know, early on you, I, you get excited about it and it, it like... Uh, I want people to know that I'm a leader by working with me and dealing with me rather than what my job title says anymore. And you know, I'm, I'm the director of sales and finance and, and, and that's awesome and like, I, I appreciate all those opportunities I've had. And, and really when it comes to like a new person, what a lot of people don't understand is you get really far into your sales career and you kind of start to lose touch with what it was like to be new. And I know that like the further I move myself back to that, the more creative I get. Uh, which is, was part of the launch of the podcast. But but to stay on question, um, you know, really, I, I think the big thing is, 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 number one, sitting them down, asking them the areas of opportunity that they need help with. Most people, what they think they need help with and what they actually need help with are two different. Uh, most salespeople, if you ever sit down and talk to them, well, I need to figure out how to get my name out there. Well, the truth of it is, you also need to figure out what you're going to do with when you actually have a customer. And I think, like, uh, there's a lot of veterans in any business that maybe don't even have the basic parts of it figured out. They only have the super complex parts of it figured out, meaning they might figure out how to advertise a whole bunch, and they might spend a ton of money on that, but they also don't take the time and follow up with people like they should. So there's multiple different styles to it, but I think, number one, when it comes to a new person, I like to sit them down and I like to figure out what can I do to help them. And I want them to know that I'm, I'm genuinely there to help them as a human being uh, because I know that if they're successful in and out of work, they'll be successful overall. And I like to sit them down, and ask them, you know, okay, so what do you what do you think you need help with? What have you done in the past? What have you learned from in the past? What do you read outside of work? Um, because if I can figure out a little bit of how they're motivated, meaning uh, if if they already like sales training or they like those type of things, I know I can help them get more of it. But if I um, if if we just let them sit, which I think is what has been done over the course of all sales companies for a really long time, uh, it will just increase turnover.
2: I think that, you know, another key thing that you're you're touching on there is as anyone gains experience in their job, they gain comfort. And comfort can lull you into a place of just being stagnant. Yeah. And, you know, we've been in this business almost 23 years. And I think the thing that keeps me personally excited is, again, working with new people and talking to new people and, and looking at new ideas and what's going on. Uh, new. Now it's not always easy because some of the new things that come along aren't uh, easy to understand or adopt, but there is, there is two different directions that you can take your business. You can become comfortable with what you've got and, and ride that, or you can continue to learn and grow. And and it is true. The more you interact with people with less experience, no experience, uh, the more open that you can be to new things.
3: Talk to me a little bit about the personality styles because people feel like there's a salesperson out there. And I, I'm of the belief that, you know, it takes all kinds of personalities to meet the client's needs because everybody, I mean, people who work with me probably may not be comfortable working with you, uh, vice versa. Sure. So talk a little bit about the personality styles and how do you adapt around that when you're training
1: You know, number one, I think it comes down to, I think a really good salesperson can adapt themselves a lot better than they think. Meaning, um, let's say I'm an extrovert um, and there's certain people I probably need to be more introverted with that, you know, if I'm really outgoing with them, it might turn them off or Mm -hmm. they might not want to deal with me. Um, So it's the same thing. You know, I, I think number one, I think a sales force needs to have every type of personality type with it. Um, you know some of the best sales tra- people I've gotten to work with and, and most recently I've gotten to study some amazing salespeople a lot of there's there's key indicators that they really have and the most talented ones typically are extremely organized like, it's crazy that people would think that but they're very organized they are very detailed and they're very attention to detail um, and they can be able to do that they can be able to be an introvert when they need to be and they can be able to go to a party if they have to um, but, uh, but no, that's a, that's a true statement. And I think the biggest thing as a salesperson is being able to recognize like, Hey, look, there might be somebody that's a better fit to work with this customer than me. And I, th- I think I had to hit a point in my career where I could make that. Like I understood that, Hey, this person over here, I think their personalities would match better. And I think a lot of salespeople don't recognize that either, or their pride lets them get in the way and say, Hey, look, like number one, I want to help this guest. And if they think me being super outgoing is not the right way. I'm gonna put them with somebody else. And I think they'll appreciate that more than me trying to get the client or guest to fit into the 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 circle, if you will. Um, because the truth of it is, like most salespeople aren't very good. And and, and I think that, that you know, that's always a hard thing to say, but they 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 don't recognize that.
2: And that's. I think that's a life lesson that sales forces you to learn, but it's also the, the result of a lot of conflict in the common workplace because you, sure. don't, you don't understand the different personalities that you need to adapt to and work to, uh, to relate with. And so it's, it's, it's a key concept that salespeople hopefully grasp.
1: It takes a long time but yeah
3: yeah. you've been in excuse me you've been in sales a long time so you've obviously ridden some of the roller coaster I mean, the economy goes up and then the economy goes down and you know there's different selling techniques that we have to adapt to and use when the economy is is stronger than it is if if there's some concern and i'm i'm going back to like 9 11. 9 11 was a really difficult time for us as far as selling, because people were dismayed and they, the market wasn't moving like it was. In fact, it came to a halt. And so talk a little bit about some of the peaks and valleys that you've worked through and what have you learned through those?
1: So I actually like got into the car business, which would actually be considered like a pretty tough time. So it was right about the time of what people call like the economic meltdown. And really, I kind of find those times as like a you know, to, to to senior salespeople or veteran salespeople, they would be scared by them. But, like, every time I found there to be a rebirth with it, you know, like a rebirth in my thinking and a change in my thought process. And, like, I feel like in those times I worked 10 times harder. So when the economy is great, things just seem to naturally flow. And it's mm-hmm. funny because people from the outside will be like, wow, that's a lot of luck. Well, no, it really isn't. Like, the hard work was placed in the time when most people gave up. Right. So for me, watching the Hill and Valley with it is like, there's always opportunity. The question is, most people can't reframe their thinking to recognize the opportunity in that set time. So when we talk about really tough times, there, there's always going to be. There's going to be times where there's a huge um, amount of people buying whatever, and there's going to be times where things slow down. And uh, truthfully, you got to be mentally prepared to handle both. And you know, unfortunately, as human beings, I think we just get used to things being really good. And when it gets bad, we just can't necessarily always figure out how to counteract. And I would think even at a time like that, there might be a fair amount of time where you lose a lot of agents or in my industry, you lose a lot of salespeople um, because, you know, they're used to mm-hmm. tons and tons of people walking through the door. where really like, that's the time where you got to pick up the phone and call some people you probably should have been calling the whole time.
2: It's right. where you perfect <clears> your <throat> systems, hone your skills and learn new. During those times, which
1: I know for me, like, that's why I'm glad I kind of got into what I do now at that time. And Mm -hmm. at the time, I didn't recognize it. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I I didn't even realize probably what the economy was going through. Right. But it was a time when a lot of salespeople were probably thinking about changing industries. And here I walk in, I'm like, well, I don't got much to lose. So it, it was a perfect time for me to do it.
3: I wanna hear the truck story. Yeah, I'm just we, gonna say we are well into this and Ron we, told me your truck can story. Can we do the truck story? Are yes, you able
1: to talk about that? I'm yeah. yeah I can probably talk about some of it. You're talking about just like our growth into pickup trucks? Yeah, yeah. because
2: you work for uh, a dealership this name that doesn't really have a huge market presence Not in, in their brand. Though. Not in pickups.
1: You know, part of it is a few things. So you really gotta get out of your comfort zone always and, and what had happened was, you know, I think everybody always related us to selling cars and 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 SUVs and vans, and uh, we had built, we had moved to the new location, and I was thinking, and I got together with the team, and I said, well, what about what if we did something different? And you know, the problem with anything, it goes back to my beginning philosophy, like you're either in it or you're out of it. And I said, okay, so if we buy a couple of these, I don't think this is going to work. Like we're not going to understand it enough, and when we're going to get out of it and uh slowly, over time, we kind of just started increasing and increasing and increasing it <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean it 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 really taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about yet again, my philosophy of being a hundred percent out or 100 percent in, but it also showed me that um, your business needs to constantly adapt and evolve, and businesses not willing to do that i in my belief won't be businesses and and that's kind of where that evolved and and we grew that into what it is now.
2: So how did you go from a maybe a truck on your lot to hundreds?
1: So thankfully, you know, a lot of times people will recognize things that I do and say, well, you had a part of this. And, and maybe I do, but really, I, wor- I work with a great team. And they're a great team that the core of us have all worked together a really long time. And... uh yeah. When it comes to be able to acquire that many cars, that that's the part that becomes a really tough thing is being able to require, acquire them, ship them, clean them, make them ready to be able to sell them. And I've got a team of about four or five people, and we all got together, and I said, hey, look, I can't do this myself. And I'm the kind of person where, like, if it means working insane hours, I'll do it and uh, i forget that it's not fair to always ask everybody else to do the same way but uh, we we really mapped it out and i'm big into data so like i'd look at the data start figuring out a spreadsheet of what makes sense and maybe the right way to attack the problem and uh we kind of looked at it like that i looked at it as a challenge and then i figured the the end result would be selling it once we got it but we had to put ourselves in the position to be able to do that and then at the same time it's a huge learning curve coming from where we were before not having maybe maybe we had a half a dozen to i think i don't know if there's a couple hundred now uh uh you know i think we have over 450 used cars on the lot and uh the number might even be higher than that uh it was a huge learning curve to figure that out Uh, the honda business is pretty clear-cut like if you buy this model this is what it is well you could buy an f-150 and there's you know, 14 or 20 different packages. And oh, wait, if you buy the wrong one, no one's ever going to buy it. So uh, for us, it was a giant learning curve. But yet again, so what I do with that is I take a look at it and say, okay, so if nobody wants blue, okay, so then I start mapping it all out. Okay, so nobody buys blue. We don't buy that color. We buy this color. Uh, And I think that that's the thing that a lot of people don't uh, take the time to do. And for me, that was a really cool learning uh, experience. And we continue to keep growing it. And it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, so I'll add a little
0: bit of detail on this too, is that what? it's really impressive that you're at a Honda dealership, and you have probably one of, if not the city's biggest inventory of trucks, and not Ridgelines, you've got some, but you've got (laughs) Ford F-150s, GMC Sierras, you've got Chevy Silverados, you've got this huge selection, and full disclosure, I've always loved the GMC Sierra. So when I was looking, I found a ton of options on your lot, and that's where I found my truck. And I love it. I washed it, and now we've got, and you know, no, we got no, snow, no, rain and right snow. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's really impressive to see how much you've got out there. So good job.
1: Yeah, and like I said, it goes back to the team. You know, I, uh, It's impossible to ever do something like that yourself. You can get the ball rolling, and you can get the idea, but it takes everybody else making sure it happens every day and making sure the cars get clean and they get through the shop and they get marketed and photographed and all those things. Because at the end of the day, like you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't have any ounce of execution on getting it done, like oh well. So the team really is, as much as you know, people sometimes will give me credit for it, they, uh, they're really the ones that help put that all together.
0: So you had your ear to the rail and you saw the data as to how the truck market was one of the biggest in the country. Yeah, for sure. And that's what really led it. So assuming you still do, you've got your, your thumb in the wind. What sort of change are you seeing or what do you foresee happening in about the next five
1: years? You know the hardest part is I think a lot of that stuff is evolving really quickly, and it, it's evolving quicker than I think a lot of people will recognize. It, it, there's a couple projects that I'm working on that I can't talk about that I think really is what it evolves into, but uh, flying cars? No, I don't think that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not on that level. We were of supposed to have out. those by 2020. I swear, they <laughs> anyway. might exist somewhere, but no. I, it, it when it comes to market shifting or things like that, I mean, I don't know that. Um, you know, I think electric brings a lot of play into where the market ends up going. I think there's still, you know, some people still have range anxiety about, like, you know, does it still, you know, can I drive from here to there and not run out of uh, electric power, which, you know, you guys might be able to comment on. But um, so I think there's, there's part of it. I think, truthfully, I think we see more hybrid features get put in every car. Uh, so I think what used to be special and was a hybrid, I think, becomes more mainstream and that becomes what a car is now. Um I think you know the the thing that I think is really fascinating about it is when you start studying like people versus leave the car business separately and you start seeing a ton of people using Uber, a ton of people using Lyft and you look at you know new kids getting their driver's license which I remember getting my driver's license it was like the greatest thing in the world they don't really think about the car the same way. They don't have you know there might be some that think like I do or, or everybody in the room but like the passion for like I want to get my driver's license, I want to have a cool car like it's changed so then what that does is it makes every business model evolve with it and you know if uber and lyft and those rideshare companies start taking a bigger impact in it and people care less about owning a car like so i don't know what that means in the business but i do know that there is certainly whether it's the electric side of it or that alone um, certainly will bring on some of its own uh, disruptions for sure
2: so I think, if do you agree, we'll see self-driving cars sometime in the future? Oh, for sure. Yeah. We said in our a presentation this week that was really interesting, and they brought out a point that I hadn't thought about. Once self-driving cars are proficient in our society, you no longer need two or three cars. You need one car. Sure. It drives you to work, comes back, picks your wife up, drives her to work. Kids need to go to school, comes back, picks them up, drives them to school, parks itself in the garage. You ready to come home? Car comes to get you. That's insane.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, but I also think, you know, I I have a hard time to think major oil companies are just going to allow it to easily happen either. Sure. You know, so like, you know, when people say, well, I don't know if there's ever going to be a, a, if it will all be electric. I said, I don't know. You know, like, I mean, that's a big industry and I have a hard time to sit there and say, like, they just easily let it happen. So, I mean, maybe,
0: but... Yeah. I've got an idea, and you can take all the profit from this. Can you develop a self-cleaning interior? <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> However, they make a ton of different stuff that help that now, compared to
1: even what it was 10 years I'm ago. Like garbage now. bags? I haven't seen a Roomba for a car yet, but that would be pretty cool. <laughs>
0: Something's got to get rid of that subway bag in the back of my truck. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. But Lynn. Let's go
3: back to, you know, in our home right now, we have two cars. We have an electric and we have the the gas car and even if uh, whether you buy into global warming or whatever's happening even if half the cars on the road were electric and and that would have a huge impact on what's happening in our in our climate and in our culture if half of them went electric i mean it doesn't have to be everybody it doesn't the oil companies don't have to let all of their profits go away i know they'll lose some and i I, it's a good point i had not thought about oh yeah the big oil companies aren't going to let this happen well i think they'll actually
1: start investing their own money in renewable energy to offset that Mm -hmm. you know if they know that let's say in the numbers half Mm -hmm. they're probably going to be the next windmill company or they're going to be the next you know renewable energy of whatever it ends up being at that point
2: right
3: because they are innovators also, right? I mean, an innovator is, is a thought process and you look at a problem and you fix it. And, and they
1: are that.
2: The series, the men who built America.
1: Oh, it's great. You see it? I haven't seen it. it. It's amazing going back to innovators and and things.
2: So, uh, who's your role model? One person.
1: (sighs) That's really tough. Or Um, who
3: has influenced you. You
1: know, I have, I have a big belief, uh, that I have two, uh, two mentors. Um, you know, you'll, you guys will see me a fair amount of posts about Grant Cardone. He's taught me a lot about the sales business. And, uh, for that, I've always been super grateful. And, um, he, his personality might uh, be a little bit out of the box for some people, but for me it's always been relatable and it's always connected with me and it's always helped, as I always say, stretch my brain and it's thinking. So for him, uh, you know, it's super inspiring. I went to his 10 X growth con last year in February And it's impressive to be surrounded by, you know, I think there was 35,000 people there that think similarly, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was really cool. And um, it also helped me get better, you know, better in everything I do every day. So that's been a big role model for me. My dad has always been a big big mentor for me, too. He always has kept me, you know, humble and grounded. And, um, you know, I think he's always, you know, been everything I want to be for my son. So for that, I'd say those two people, you know, they're, they're both opposite personalities, you know, but uh, to the extreme, but uh, uh, I think you need both of that. You know, I think one will kind of push you outside of your comfort zone and one kind of reminds you of who you are. And um, for me, I think that's what I needed. And, you know, um, I actually recently had a guy that works for Grant on my show and he's the head of their new automotive division. And, you know, just being able to be surrounded by those kind of people really, really help a lot. But yeah, those would be the two biggest, you know, I I obviously read a ton of like uh, Tim Grover, uh, David Goggins, uh, you know, that stuff's really incredible. And, you know, it's funny, I used to hate reading. And now I probably read more than the average person does. If I can read, you know, 25 or 30 books a year, um, that's really where I set myself at. And, uh, you know, if, if my sixth grade teacher listens to this, she probably realize that I never read any of the books. That <laughs> She's probably like, that can't now. be true. <laughs> yep. When you read, are you digital or paper? All paper. I don't actually like, you know, it's funny. I've been trying to cut out more, which is crazy to anybody that follows it on social media. Like, I've been trying to cut out more and more digital. Um, I still love the fact of like getting to hold the book and read read the pages that are written versus digitally and and I feel like it's a different connection. If I can set my phone aside so I don't get notification alerts and I can just read the book, I feel like I learn more of what the author's telling.
2: There is that aspect of it. You know, you don't think about that reading on an iPad or reading electronically. You are inundated with all these alert things that keep mm-hmm. popping up all over your screen and, and that, check your email.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: that, that's an I hadn't thought about that before.
1: And and like I I feel like I from a sixth grade aspect, I still like reading or listening to Whoever wrote the book, read the audiobook while I follow along.
3: Absolutely. Because I can
1: I can tell their tone inflection with it. And one of the books Grant wrote, 10X, um, which is probably his most famous book, uh, I still love listening to get hit. like I actually have it in my car right now, um, getting to listen to him reread the book because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how that registers. And it gets me um really excited about it. So I think like, you know, from following along I still like doing both. But
3: well, and if they have been through a really tough time, you hear that passion in their yeah. voice that you don't hear from a narrator. Yeah.
0: So you're you're kind of tethered. Of course, you have a 2-year-old, so your activities are a little bit limited. <laughs> but before we wrap things up, what is one of your favorite things to do in the area? You uh, by yourself or with your family, but more than likely with your family nowadays. You
1: know, it's funny, even like uh, as I like Reevaluate a lot of things that are like going on. You know, there's not even, like, one set thing where I say, hey, this is what we got to do. But I still like just getting us outside. You know, it's so easy to be in the house anymore or be, especially when you have a little one, like, you know, if I can get us out and just walk to the park, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a win. And, like, you know, to him, that would be as, as great as if I went on the most amazing vacation. So I, I really have been trying to, as complex as life is, I've been trying to find ways to make it simple. And the more I can just uh, get out into nature and try to, like, see the beautiful things that really exist and get away from the computer and get away from my phone um i i found a great amount of enjoyment in that which is crazy to a lot of people but the truth of it is i think if they they took some time away from their phone i think they'd gain a lot
2: and then we circle right back to rochester because within the city uh, within the county within southeastern minnesota i mean we have some great places to go whether you've got five Mm -hmm. minutes or an hour or five Mm -hmm. hours you've got some great options here to, to really connect with nature and being outside,
0: yeah, parks, trails, water, all yep. sorts of good stuff. Yeah. All right, where do people get a hold of you, Kiefer?
1: Well, you can find me on social media pretty much everywhere. Obviously, the show, sales as I know it. Um, that's your podcast. That is, um, and uh, obviously, you know, I always tell people if you just Google me, you'll find me. So, um, but that's true. Uh, but but really, the connection is obviously with the show and and all over Facebook and Instagram. And uh, yeah, I hope they check it out, and I hope that they find some some good resource with it. All
0: right, Kiefer Bartell, thank you very much for being here today. You can also find us on the internet. Our email address is info at whitemanbrock.com, and of course that is our website as well. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.